The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of my fabulous sponsors or advertisers. Any content provided by our bloggers or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. This disclaimer was provided by DisclaimerTemplate.com. Now I'm going to be doing this one a little bit differently because I'm not going to be looking at the microphone. I'm just going to be uh, recording and I'm going to go on. I'm going to be, you know, on one app while I'm reading, but we'll keep, we'll try to keep an eye out. Okay. Now, 10 signs you're probably in a cult. And this is from medium.com. And this article is by Sam and Tanner, and it was written June 18th, 2018. Cults aren't as easy to spot as you might think. Most cults don't wear robes or live in communes. In fact, most cult members don't even realize they're in a cult. During my 25 years as an unwitting cult member, I would often watch documentaries and read about other cults. As I researched, I noticed 10 specific patterns that helped me recognize that I myself was in a cult. Number one, the leader is the ultimate authority. If you're not allowed to criticize your leader, even if the criticism is true, you're probably in a cult. Cults begin with a charismatic leader who claims some supreme knowledge. They may call themselves a prophet, messiah, messenger, or an enlightened teacher. They can also be CEOs, military officials, politicians, and self-help gurus. Cult leaders convince members to forfeit their critical thinking ability in return for a sense of belonging, authority, and purpose. To members, it doesn't matter what the evidence or logic may suggest, the leader is always right and their misdeeds are always justified. Criticism of the leader is forbidden. Number two, the group suppresses skepticism. If you're only allowed to study your organization through approved sources, you're probably in a cult. Cults view critical thinking as an infectious disease and every effort is made to suppress it. Doubting members are encouraged to isolate themselves from outside influences and focus solely on the doctrine of the cult. Criticism is forbidden. People who contradict the group are viewed as persecutors and are often given labels like anti, apostate, or suppressive person. Members are discouraged from consuming any material that is critical of the group. 
The group number three, the group delegitimizes former members. If you can't think of a legitimate reason for leaving your group, you're probably in a cult. Because the cult considers itself the ultimate authority on truth, it can't imagine anybody leaving it with their integrity intact. Thus, it has to perpetuate a false narrative that former members were deceived, proud, immoral, or lazy. If former members speak out, they are dismissed as bitter, angry, dishonest, or evil. Cults often impose some kind of shunning to shame former members and prevent them from infecting other members with the truth. Number four, the group is paranoid about the outside world. If your group insists the end of the world is near, you're probably in a cult. Cults position themselves as the sole refuge from an evil outside world that is intent on their destruction. Cults thrive on conspiracy theories, catastrophic thinking, and persecution complexes. In an effort to draw in more paying members, cults are often very aggressive in their recruitment efforts, which are usually justified as saving people from the evil world. Those who reject the cult's message are unelect, prideful, evil, or stupid. Number five, the group relies on shame cycles. If you need your group in order to feel worthy, loved, or sufficient, you're probably in a cult. Cult leaders trap members in shame cycles by imposing abnormally strict codes of conduct, conduct excuse me, usually prescriptions about diet, appearance, sex, relationships, media, guilting members for their shortcomings, and then positioning themselves as the unique remedy to the feelings of guilt which they themselves created. Cult members are made to believe they are insufficient or unworthy on their own and that the only way to become worthy is to confess their shortcomings to the group or leader. The leader then becomes the mediator of worthiness and the foundation of the member's self-esteem. Leaders who can make followers feel bad about anything can use shame to manipulate followers into doing anything even if it's against their own self-interest or better judgment. Hold on one second, y'all. We gonna check where we at. Okay. Number six. The leader is above the law. If you're held to a different moral standard, specifically in regard to sex, you're probably in a cult. A prevalent ideal among cult leaders is that they are above the law, be it human or divine. This ideal allows them to exploit their followers economically and sexually without repercussions. When confronted, they do not confess, but create justifications for their impropriety. Sexual grooming of members is common Loyal cult members will perform any amount of 
mental gymnastics to justify or ignore the leader's behavior. All right, y'all. Oops, wait a minute. All right, we are back on medium.com and we are still doing that crazy, um, you know, one phone thing that I'm doing. Okay, now we are on 10 signs you're probably in a cult, C U L T cult, and we are on number seven. The group uses thought reform methods. If your serious questions are answered with cliches, you're probably in a cult. Indoctrination or brainwashing is the process through which a cult slowly breaks down a person's sense of identity and ability to think rationally. Behaviors like excessive fasting, prayer, hypnosis, scripture reading, chanting, meditation, or drug usage can all be used to increase a person's vulnerability to the leader's suggestions. The hallmark of indoctrination is the use of thought-terminating cliches. Platitudes like follow the leader or doubt your doubts are regurgitated over and over so that members don't have to critically analyze complex issues. Number eight, the group is elitist. If your group is the solution for all the world's problems, you're probably in a cult. Cults see themselves as the enlightened chosen, an elect organization tasked with radically transforming individual lives and the entire world. This elitism creates greater sense of group unity and responsibility centered on a united purpose. However, this sense of responsibility is often manipulated by cult leaders who coerce members into risky financial behavior, sexual favors, free manual labor, or heightened recruitment efforts in order to further the cause. Number nine, there is no financial transparency. If you're not allowed to know what the group does with their money, you're probably in a cult. A group that refuses to disclose its finances is a huge red flag. Ethical organizations have nothing to hide. Cult leaders tend to live opulently while their followers are required to make financial sacrifices. Members are often encouraged to pay their offerings even if it means putting their families at risk. Number 10. The group performs secret rites. If there are secret teachings or ceremonies you didn't discover until after you joined, you're probably in a cult. Cults use secret rituals as rites of passage that solidify a member's loyalty to the group. Initiation into these rites usually only comes after a member has undergone certain tests or made adequate financial contributions. Often, cult initiations are confusing, bizarre, or even offensive. 
This mental dissonance between their sense of confusion and their loyalty to the inner circle convinces the initiate to double their efforts in order to properly appreciate the proceedings. This only further entrenches them in a shame cycle, making them even more susceptible to manipulation. Wow, you guys, and we want to thank you. That was written by Sam and Tanner, two millennial ex-Mormons who love mindfulness and handstands. Noteworthy the journal blog. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, you guys, let's see what we're doing. How much time are we working with here? Because I have not recorded in a while, you guys, and you know how much I enjoy talking to you guys. So let me see. We've actually got time for one more article. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take a quick break. And then we will be right back with one more article. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Oh, thank you so much. And today is, by the way, (laughs) I don't remember telling you guys what day it is. (laughs) It's Tuesday, my day off. (laughs) It's also after April 20th. It's April 20th, uh, 420 for those who are of 420 partakers. And... You guys, guess what I just found out? Derek Chauvin, the man who murdered George Floyd, was found guilty on all three charges and taken into custody. Yay! And with that being said, we will be right back after this. Pause for the cause. Thank you so much for listening. I love you for listening. I've missed you. Yes, I have. I'm not going to leave you again. All right, you wonderful, loyal listeners, we are back, and I am on medium.com, and I'm going to be reading the article, I'm a woman, I'm black, and I'm old. What do I do now? Because nobody wants me. By Rebecca Stevens, A, and this was published April 9th, okay? I turned 50 this year. I am the same person I was when I was 20, 30, or 40 years old. I have the same personality, the same dreams, the same aspirations. People say of me that I have a young mind, that I am mentally agile, spontaneous, open-minded, and highly adaptable. I recognize this in the enriching relationships that I have with people whether they are 80 years old, 6 years old, or 18 years old. I take a lot of pride in being a person that can talk to... I'm sorry, you guys. I take a lot of pride in being a person that can talk to, get along with, and learn from people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. I am and will always be young at heart even when I am 100 years old. But given the ageist microaggressions that have been thrown my way in recent months, I realize that in the minds of many young people, now that I'm 50, I am simply just too old, unrelatable, and as a result, irrelevant. It's sort of strange 
as a black woman, I have fought to be relevant all my life. At 40, I finally thought I had achieved this, but now, 10 years later, I am thrown back again into the pot of irrelevance because of my age. According to Bonnie Marcus in a recent article in Forbes, in our youth-tilted culture, professional women over 50 face gendered ageism every day. According to a 2018 AARP report, 64% of women say they've been the target of or witness age discrimination. The way things are going, I wonder if there's a chance that I'll ever get out of that past the expiry date label. I must admit that the simplest form, I'm sorry, I must admit that the simple prospect of getting stuck there forever is quite frightening because I still have so much to give, I still have so much life to live, and so much to achieve. I refuse to get put into a straitjacket of irrelevance, at least not just yet. The way that modern day Western societies discard older people is problematic, and if you think about it, quite counterproductive. Older people have a wealth of skills and experience that can strongly benefit society overall. Why not use them? Why not put them to good use? I always think that societies that don't allow women to work miss out on 50% of their labor workforce. Then, this then, this then translates into 50% less productivity subtracted from their national gross domestic product, GDP, potential. I would say the same thing about not utilizing the older workforce. Aren't countries losing 20 to 25% of productivity or even more? There is a growing elderly population in Western countries, so much so that in Switzerland, where I live, the government is actively looking for solutions to fund pensions within the next 10 years. There will be fewer people in the workforce to fund an increasing number of pensioners. That dilemma lies ahead of many countries. But if we accept that people can be productive way past the age of 50, 60, 70, and even 80, and dismantle ageism altogether, we might be able to fund pensions in the future. As a black woman, I have heard my fair share of microaggressions, and I have built internal mechanisms to process them and get over them. Ageism microaggressions, how are, however, quite new to me, and I'm just beginning to realize just how hurtful those can be, too. Some examples of what I've heard. As soon as you pass 50, it's more challenging to learn new things. I think it's dangerous to consider this a blanket rule. The ability to learn new things isn't directly correlated to age. It is more related to one's personal drive, mindset, and ambition. Well, older people cost companies so much more. We might cost more, but we also have skills and qualifications that can make companies successful. Which is one, I'm sorry, why is one made to feel like a financial burden? Why is one made to feel that companies are doing you a favor by keeping you or hiring you? We need fresh new blood. Out with the old, in with the new. 
Why does there need to be a binary equation in this? Why does it either have to be young or old people? Isn't the best ecosystem a combination of young and old, binary and non-binary, and diverse minorities? Why tend towards homogeneity when you can get heterogeneity and be more profitable? So, as I embark on this new decade in my life, I realize that I am not the shiny new object that everybody wants. As a black woman, I probably never was. It does not make me feel a certain way to know that there are fewer and fewer opportunities that will come my way. It sort of feels strange since I know that I still have so much to give. And so, because I can't sit here and consider my life over, I am now on a mission to make my own opportunities. Social justice is important to me, so chances are I'll take a more active role in driving gender and racial diversity. And now that I'm 50, in what some may consider my old age, I'm pretty sure that I'll add working to dismantle ageism to the list too. Me too, girly. But whatever it is I end up doing, know that I will make myself relevant and always remain young at heart. Thank you for reading my perspective. Source, Forbes magazine. Do professional women over 50 have an expiration date? How gendered ageism sabotages women's career. Bonnie Marcus, January 4th, 2021. And this was written by Rebecca Stevens A. I write about racism, but there are so many other things I would like to write about instead. Help me dismantle racism so that I can get to that. And it was uh, brought to you by Illuminated Curated, and they are on medium.com. And that is going to be the conclusion of this episode of Just Miss Rose, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I love it when you listen. Mm, I'll see you on the other side.